0: This episode is sponsored by Lubmarine, your global partner for pioneering lubrication solutions. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. And today, we're gonna talk about what could be a historic decision by the International Maritime Organization to tackle shipping's greenhouse gas footprint.
1: Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, Chair, Excellencies, Distinguished Delegates, and Observers.
0: This is the London headquarters of the United Nations International Maritime Organization, or IMO, back in December.
1: Demanding but productive week. Your efforts and determination.
0: Secretary General Kitak Lim was delivering his closing remarks during the last meeting of the Marine Environment Protection Committee, or MEPC. Fast forward to today, and anyone who has a stake in Shipping's carbon footprint has their eyes on what's happening now at the IMO. This week, delegates have been laying the groundwork for a key MEPC meeting that starts on Monday. On the agenda is whether to amp up the IMO's target for reducing Shipping's greenhouse gas footprint. In IMO speak, it's called the revision of the greenhouse gas strategy. Today, the IMO's strategy is targeting a 50% cut in carbon emissions by 2050 compared to levels back in 2018. Next week, many countries and other delegations are hoping to aim for zero emissions or net zero at the middle of the century, and there are also calls for milestone targets in 2030 and 2040. Plus, there are a number of pieces to the decarbonization puzzle that are under debate at the IMO to push shipping towards those targets, many of which will not be decided next week. So in today's episode, I talk to some of the people focused on cutting shipping's impact on climate change to ask what they're hoping for and what they're worried about going into this critical meeting at the IMO. Brian Comer leads the Marine Program at the International Council on Clean Transportation, a nonprofit research group that's a technical advisor to some of the delegations at the IMO.
2: We have a pretty good chance of agreeing to net zero well to wake emissions from the sector by no later than 2050. I think that's a pretty good possibility, but agreeing only to that would uh, not be enough because it's really the cumulative emissions between where we are today and when we get to zero emissions that matter from a climate perspective. So I'd really like to see strong interim targets, both for 2030, what we're going to accomplish over the next seven years, and then also for 2040 in terms of uptake of um, fuels that have zero or near zero life cycle emissions, and then absolute emissions reduction targets for those years as well.
0: Now we need to focus on one of the terms Comer used there, net zero emissions. Many delegations at the IMO have dropped the net to focus on zero emissions because they fear that the term net zero has become too associated with offsets from outside the sector, like planting trees. Instead, they just say zero greenhouse gas emissions but the icct and others are not in favor of out-of-sector offsets but still use the term net zero because of things that can be done within shipping and in the life cycle of fuels from the well where they're pulled out of the ground and to the wake that is until they're used on the ship that's important in biofuels made from other industries waste or in production of synthetic fuels in which captured carbon can be part of the equation to reduce emissions and then there's those interim targets These are important because if shipping is to do its part in keeping global temperature increases below 1.5 degrees Celsius to avoid even the worse effects from climate change, then you can't just halt emissions in 2050. You have to reduce them through all the years leading up to then. It's a question of carbon budgets. That's how much cumulative emissions the world can spend over time before the 1.5 degrees Celsius cap is unreachable. To achieve that goal, many nations, including the US, the UK, and others, have proposed cutting emissions by 37% in 2030, and by 96% in 2040, that's almost all the way to zero, less than 17 years from now. But that's going to be a tough sell for other countries that are worried about the economic consequences of measures
2: to get us there.
0: What are you losing sleep over? What are the what are the big risks here in your mind?
2: I'm losing sleep over the 2030 target. I think it's going to be really politically challenging to agree to absolute emissions reductions by 2030, even though it's probably the most important thing that we need to do to ensure that the sector contributes to achieving the Paris Agreement temperature goals. Because if we continue to allow emissions to increase over the next decade, then the amount of budget that we have in terms of uh, how much the sector would be uh, allowed to emit if it maintains its existing or historic share of emissions is really, really small. And Then from that point, how do we decarbonize in a way that would maintain a 1.5 or even a well below two degree budget for the sector? If we can't agree to relatively modest emissions reductions between now and 2030, when you compare to what we really need to get to, which is completely zero emissions, cutting emissions by, 36, 37 percent by 2030 sounds kind of scary, but it's completely possible just by um, slowing ships down, retrofits with wind-assisted propulsion for the ship types that are available to use that, and then starting to ramp up the proportion of low and uh, zero life cycle emission fuels that are used by existing ships, because any ship can be a zero emission vessel. Any ship that we have today can be a zero emission vessel. It just depends on um, what kind of fuel and energy it's using. So it's it's completely reasonable from a technical perspective and an operational perspective to achieve um, more than a a one-third reduction in absolute emissions between now and 2030. I just worry that it's politically challenging to get to that agreement But that's that's really what we need to do to to protect against exceeding 1.5 degrees.
0: Sophia and Connor Furstenberg-Stott are partners in Sweden's Furstenberg Maritime Advisory, and they're the maritime directors of the Ammonia Energy Association. Connor said that IMO watchers have to be prepared for some disappointment because decarbonizing shipping is not the highest priority for many of the nations involved in the discussions. Good
1: would look like
0: zero by 2050 and really good hard intermediate targets that are science-based. And we get on that curve when we go down and everyone's in singing and we have maybe a global fuel standard, which is increasingly getting less and less uh, carbon intensity of fuels and and market-based measures to support
1: it. And it's going to and of course it's going to have to to be a just and equitable transition and it's going to maybe even be an opportunity to lift some countries economies but that's a really big discussion so
0: for me certainly i think if we can get an agreement for zero by 2050 or mid century that'll be a great step forward that's because it gives shipping companies ordering vessels tougher targets to expect over that ship's lifetime. For the furstenberg stats, also key is how the carbon footprint of alternative fuels is calculated. The MAPC is also scheduled to vote on what are called Life Cycle Guidelines. It's an incredibly complex document that has more than 100 pathways to calculate the greenhouse gas footprint of using particular fuels. Complex, but essential. When it comes to alternative fuels, such as ammonia or methanol, Sophia said it's important to align shipping with the broader energy world because these alternative fuels won't just be used for the maritime sector.
3: There are many different interpretations of what net zero and absolute zero means when we go further upstream, how these alternative fuels are produced and what. What life cycle perspective we take? Is is it—is it a 20-year perspective? Is it—is it a 100-year perspective? What's inside scope? What's outside of scope? And we, we cannot afford ourselves to, to start a new regime that is actually not creating value for, for the greater good. Um, it would be completely perverted if we put all these resources in developing new fuels for maritime. And at the end of the day, it's it's causing damage elsewhere, um, or that the the total footprint is actually not reducing because we we are taking away resources where they should otherwise be used. And so this this systemic perspective, however difficult it is to to create and to follow, we need to through language, through standards, through kind of common descriptions of what that life cycle means that we can follow the carbon accurately and transparently. uh, That's absolutely necessary.
0: The term well-to-wake is key. Most countries at the IMO have been gravitating toward calculating shipping's carbon footprint from well-to-wake because by factoring in fuel's full supply chain, you avert unintended consequences. Ammonia, for example, has no carbon in its molecule, but does have greenhouse gas emissions in its supply chain today, unless you make it in a green way. But there is still some fear that some countries will insist on a tank to wake calculus, which means only considering the emissions on board a ship
3: Connor and I have tried to understand before uh why would countries be against a well to wake decision? What are they afraid of from from where they sit and 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 why and uh, uh we kind of unpack that as much as possible and um uh, we think that the risk is is smaller now than when when a few a few months ago. But but really, uh, if if these old fears come back during these conversations and people start hesitate and say that no, we're not ready for this. This will be detrimental to our economy or or whatever it may be. That that would be massively disappointing.
0: Jonathan Arno is the chief executive of Fuel Trust, which helps shipping companies accurately calculate their true emissions. He says that today, the regulatory guidance for managing and reporting emissions is very general, making it difficult to explore steps to actually reduce emissions, such as using better fuel choices, additives, or different equipment. He wants to see regulations at the IMO to incentivize shipping companies that want to do more to reduce their greenhouse gas output.
4: So I think the thing that we first and mostly hope is that good actors, those that are making positive actions and decisions, can actually benefit from those. So instead of just saying, you know, I bought this this grade of fuel and the IMO telling me what its emissions are, being actually able to account at a at a actual measurement level uh, what my emissions were. And therefore, when I take a, an make an investment in reducing my emissions, I'm actually able to get that benefit back immediately, both in a reporting and potentially in, in the EU and, uh, again, potentially, uh, globally with carbon taxation or carbon reduction uh, benefits.
0: He also wants to see better calculations under the Carbon Intensity Indicator, a global regulation that grades ships by their emissions per ton of cargo and miles traveled. I wanted to ask Arnaud about the emissions targets that some of the more ambitious nations are asking for in the next few years. reductions by 2030, for example. Is that possible with today's technology?
2: Yeah,
4: absolutely. So the answer is yes. Uh, And moreover, I think companies are in a better position than they think they are um, because they're using generic math, right? They're being told, you know, you're burning heavy fuel oil. It's 3.1 times the weight of fuel is is your carbon emission. Or MGO, uh, you know, supposedly cleaner. It's lower sulfur. It's not actually cleaner. It has a higher GHG footprint. The analysis we did over the last year and a half of the ships across our fleet that added scrubbers, on average, they were reducing their CO2 emissions, zero changes other than adding the scrubber, they were already reducing their emissions by anywhere from three to seven percent. And they were unaware of that. They thought they were just reducing sulfur. And so depending upon the ship and its operation and and you know the, the manufacturer of that scrubber they were already seeing a direct benefit on a CO2 level. And not just CO2, but on, on uh, carbon monoxide, on CH4, methane, and other gases.
0: And with 40% of the fleet headed for turnover in the next decade, he said new ships will bring engines that are cleaner and can run on cleaner fuels. Among the tools under consideration to get shipping to whatever targets are adopted are what are called midterm measures. The leading contenders are a fuel standard that would effectively mandate emissions reductions and an economic measure that would help bridge the gap between marine fuels used today and cleaner but more expensive alternatives. The IMO is not scheduled to decide this next week, but as Tradewinds has reported in recent days, one thing that became clear at this week's deliberations at the IMO Working Group is that there remains disagreement over proposals for a levy on shipping's carbon emissions, with some nations hoping that will be implemented by 2027, or even earlier. This is Sam Yarrow-Wright. He's the policy manager on the global shipping team at the Environmental Defense Fund, or EDF. He wants to see a carbon levy imposed on shipping, firstly, to close that price gap.
1: Second of all, it can help stimulate investment. So investment for the production of sustainable fuels and technology, and very importantly, underpin investor confidence in these. Potentially extremely expensive in the short term to build the plant, sure, but then you can get that benefit. Lastly, you can look at equity. Now, this is something which I think is really worth emphasizing. Equity is something that IMO really needs to consider throughout its process. And there is a reference to it, obviously, in the initial strategy already, but it's something that needs to be really emphasized
0: some developing nations are concerned about a levy because of the potential blow to their economies but edf sees a levy as a way to generate revenue that can be used for energy infrastructure investments and for climate change mitigation in vulnerable countries what worries yarrow Wright about next week's meeting is the potential for uncertainty or the failure to provide clarity that allows the industry to invest in a greener future. EDF recently worked with fuel producers on a call for high ambition
1: at the IMO. They need IMO to provide certainty to allow them to invest. And this was companies with hundreds of billions of dollars of turnover signing up to say, we really want IMO to have high high ambition because it allows us to take our money, put our money where our mouth is, and actually invest in this greener future. But if you don't provide that certainty, why would we invest? Um, and so that's the thing that scared me. And At the heart of all of this, is if you don't provide those opportunities, the alternative is not just level. The cost of inaction is tens, hundreds of billions of dollars worth over the next 30 years. And simplicity
0: is one of the reasons why EDF is supportive of a simple levy, one that's set as a price per ton of CO2 equivalent emissions. You're told me simplicity is useful to the shipping industry.
1: They need to know For their own decision making what is what is this cost going to be not just now but in three four five years time ten years time even i mean ships have what 20 30 year lifespans
0: green seas will be back next week with an update on the results of this key mepc meeting here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean the green seas newsletter explored how some nations at the imo are eager for those midterm measures to be decided soon with some island states wanting fuel standards and a price on carbon adopted as early as next year. But others think that's too soon, given the need to assess the potential negative impact on some states. Sign up for the newsletter at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. In winds, I also wrote about the U.S. government's position on a global carbon levy. Put simply, the Biden administration is on the fence, though officials are open to considering a levy. Here's Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking at a summit in Paris. The audio was broadcast by Bloomberg News.
2: We are very focused on the need to um, raise substantial additional resources to address climate change and poverty reduction. Um, and other global challenges, and so um, we're very open to um, innovative approaches, and hopefully we've put some on the table ourselves. I think this is a very constructive suggestion. I think would agree with President Macron's description of the logic of why it would be appropriate, and it's something that the United States will look at.
0: My colleague Paul Peachy has reported on new rules by the European Union that will bar tankers from carrying Russian oil if they carried out ship-to-ship transfers without giving notice. The 27-nation bloc is worried about potential safety and environmental hazards of such transfers when carried out when ship location transponders are turned off, a practice that has proliferated after sanctions on Russian oil. Read all these stories and more at TradeWindsNews.com. Music for this episode is by DMD Production from Pixabay.